Turning back in the word of the Lord tonight to the book of Esther. Taking the subject, God's providence is my pillow. God's providence is my pillow. And that's a concept and the truth that we do well to take on board and carry with us right through this year of 2023. We have an illustration of this in Esther 8 and the verse 2. Esther 8 and 2. And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, gave it unto Mordecai, Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. And with God's word open before us, we'll bow together in a further word of prayer. Heavenly Father, again we thank Thee for the joy of assembling in Thy house. We know that we have been used over the past number of weeks and months to have the children in and some of the parents as well on the Lord's Day evening. And so we miss them tonight, but we pray that wherever they are, until the Sunday school will resume again next Lord's Day, that thou wilt keep thy good hand upon them. So we do thank thee for thine evident hand upon that little girl among them, Amira. Having traveled over to Liverpool, had her operation, very serious operation, and again in thy care, has returned. And we thank thee for the progress that is being made. Pray for her mom, the rest of the family. May they know thy help in this needy time. And all others in need, we pray that thou wilt intervene in their circumstances, and even what we will see tonight in this book of Esther. God's merciful, timely intervention. Lord, we're looking for that in the lives of so many, including our own. And we ask that as we would, by thy will, take further steps in this year just begun, that thou will be our guard and our guide, that thou will govern our circumstances. For, Lord, we admit that thou art the one in whose hand our very breath is. And we need to do what those in Athens had failed to do. We need to glorify thee on account of thy goodness and governance towards us. So speak to our hearts. Give us assurance that we are part of thy plan that thy plan has not been derailed by the devil, nor can it be, and that even when days are dark, and they can become very dark, that still the light of God will arise, and thou wilt lighten our darkness. Come and do that, we pray, and may there be a candle lit again in our country, such as cannot be put out. In Jesus' name, and to his glory, we ask these things. Amen. According to the UTV headline, church leaders in Northern Ireland 
have called on governments to deliver meaningful social justice and eliminate poverty. I did scan over the prepared and agreed statement that was headed up by this particular headline, and I came face to face as I read down their statement with the emptiness that I expected. A Facebook friend described it as utterly vacuous in the mean, a presumption that Rome is a Christian church, nothing to say about the slaughter of the unborn. Well, what did they write in their prepared statement? Well, they rattled on about reconciliation between men. They talked in a garbled fashion about the sharing of the good news of Jesus without once, not even once, telling us what that good news actually is. It reminded me of a famous incident involving Bishop Taylor Smith, the thoroughgoing evangelical Church of England minister who back in World War I was appointed a chaplain general to His Majesty's forces. And when the bishop was interviewing a young man who had come along and applied to serve as a chaplain on a foreign field to the British forces, the bishop probed that young man with the question, If in the field of battle you came across a man who was evidently dying, had only a matter of minutes to live, what would you tell him? What would your message be to a man in those circumstances? And after sitting nonplussed for a while, enough time for the question to be repeated twice more, the interviewee finally blurted out, I would take up the prayer book and I would read some appropriate prayers to that dying man. Now, for Bishop Taylor Smith, that was simply not enough. He expected the response from that young aspirant to be along these lines. I would tell that dying man that there is a Savior, Jesus Christ alone, the eternal Son of God. I would press on that dying man to turn from his sin right there and then and to look in faith to Jesus Christ while there was yet time. You see, the gospel is so straightforward. Jesus saves, and He alone does, saves the sinner from his sin. In other words, turn from your sin and trust in His work Alone, that's the gospel. But these five fiddlers in Northern Ireland's Mian churches could not. And they weren't speaking off the cuff, caught in the headlights in an interview they were not expecting, but even in a prepared statement. They couldn't bring themselves to say anything remotely close to this, quite pathetic and utterly shameful. The opening verses of Esther, chapter 8 and chapter 9, is going to be the foundation for everything that I will say tonight. We're going to outline our motto for this new year of 2023, and that is God's providence is and must be my pillow. 
So we've read Esther chapter 8, verse 1 to 2. We'll read it again on that day that the king Ahasuerus gave the house of Haman, the Jews' enemy, unto Esther the queen. And Mordecai came before the king, for Esther had told what he was unto her. And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it unto Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. And then in Esther chapter 9, verse 1 to 4, now in the twelfth month, it is the month Adarm, on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary, that the Jews had rule over them that hated them, the Jews gathered themselves together in their cities throughout all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus to lay hand on such as sought their hurt, and no man could withstand them, for the fear of them fell upon all people and all the rulers of the provinces and the lieutenants and the deputies and officers of the king helped the Jews because the fear of Mordecai fell upon them, for Mordecai was great in the king's house. And his fame went out throughout all the provinces, that's all 127 provinces in the Persian Empire of the day, for this man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. Now our focus has to be in verse 1 of Esther chapter 9. And we're breaking into the verse, for it's especially this sentence. In the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary, that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. I can think of few better, more blessed revelations of the wonderful providence of our God than what we glean from these words. In the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary, that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. There's a cardinal truth that travels all the way through the book of Esther. Because this book paints for you and for me a beautiful picture of those secret workings of the divine providence that's accomplishing all the time God's purpose of grace for His own people. Why do we have this book, Esther, included in the Bible at all? It's inserted in Holy Scripture to assure us that our God sovereignly manipulates everything for the salvation of His people. It's here to assure us, no matter how things appear, however dark and gloomy the day might be, how much of a dead end it seems we might be compelled to go down, that God is still on the throne. The cardinal message from Esther You can summarize it in such Bible texts as Psalm 115 and 3, but our God is in the heavens, he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Psalm 135 and verse 6, whatsoever the Lord pleased, that did he in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all deep places. And then Paul talking about God in Romans 11, verse 33 to 36, and he cries, and he's overcome with the thought, oh, the depth, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable 
are his judgments, and his way is fast past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall not be recompensed unto him again. For off him, and through him, and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And in this book of Esther, there is a beautiful, simple account of the events that took place in the king's palace at Shushan in Persia. And this was happening during the days when Ezra would have been alive and Nehemiah would have been alive. And then their contemporaries, of course, Esther, and we have Ahasuerus as the king. Spoiler alert. You will not, and if you read the chapters today, you'll have noticed it and I'm sure you'll have known it anyway, you will not find God's name anywhere in these ten chapters of Israel's history. And that's a solemn thing because why it doesn't appear is the Lord God had hidden himself from his people just as he told them he would. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 16 to 18, and God had hidden his face. Why? Because those people had deliberately chosen to stay up there in the land of their captivity in Babylon. They had chosen to keep dwelling among the people who were the heathens instead of returning to Jerusalem when God had opened the door again under Zerubbabel. So the events of this book of Esther, they take place during the 60 years between the first remnant coming back under Zerubbabel and the second smaller remnant eventually getting their way home under the leadership of Ezra. You will find there are, as you read the book, four principal characters in the book of Esther. Ahasuerus, the king of Persia, the meanings of the names are interesting, and they virtually point up the storyline in the whole book. He's the venerable father by interpretation of his name. We have Mordecai, Esther's uncle, who is little man, but by the time the book ends, this little man, and he had everything trained against him in terms of all the weaponry of the enemy. But the weaponry of the enemy didn't prevail upon because he was highly exalted, ultimately above everybody else, by King Ahasuerus, the venerable father. We have Esther, meaning star, and she quite beautifully portrays the Lord Jesus Christ, our mediator. She stands as a wonderful picture of that suppliant sinner coming before the throne of grace and pleading to the Lord. And we've got Haman, meaning magnificent. What a misnomer there. Well, he was magnificent when the book opens and became more magnificent for a time. But this magnificent man was cut down in the providence of God by King Ahasuerus, the venerable father. And so we have the storyline suggested in the very names of the people. Then thinking of the contents of the book, Ahasuerus threw a great party to showcase how great he was 
According to the state of the king, we're told it lasted for many days, and one day during this great parting, he had an idea, and no doubt he had a little too much to drink, and he called for his wife, Vashti. Her name means beautiful. Come and show yourself to one of our great guests. The Bible says she was fair. The word means beautiful to look upon. Vashti decided, I'm not going. She refused the request of her husband, the king. She might have been indeed the first feminist in history, but it really wasn't a good idea because the king's request was not just a simple request. It was a requirement, a command, and all of the men around the king, his loyal courtiers, they were enraged. If the king's wife can get away with such arrogant defiance, all our wives, they'll be imitating her, and the priest will be out of control. The answer to the defiance? King Ahasuerus divorced Vashti. But after a while, he began to miss female companionship. And so in chapter 2, we read that they held a beauty pageant, a Miss Persia contest, if you will, to replace Vashti. And this is where Esther steps forward and claims the prize. Ahasuerus could not have been happier. The old king was about to marry the most beautiful woman in the land. And so we read in Esther 2, the verse 17 and 18, And the king loved Esther above all the women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. He thought he was making the selection. But that's how little he knew. Then the king made a great feast unto all his princes and his servants, even Esther's feast. And he made a release to the provinces and gave gifts according to the state of the king. So he is buoyant. But like a clod of mud being thrown into the middle of a pool of tranquility, we have a character called Haman who bursts onto the scene and he's full of bitterness and bile and full of classic anti-Semitism. And in chapter 3 of the book of Esther, the king promoted this man, Haman, to be prime minister of the great empire over all of these 127 provinces. And everybody bowed and they groveled and they scraped before Haman's every appearance. Everybody except one man... Mordecai the Jew. And so in Esther 3 and verse 5 we read, And when Haman saw that Mordecai bowed not, nor did him reverence, then was Haman full of wrath. I'll tell you this, there was some backbone in that old Jew. He was made of stern stuff. He wasn't about to fall on his face right down to the floor before someone so arrogant and someone so depraved as Haman. And it didn't matter to him if he happened to be the king's favorite in that time. Haman hatched a plan that would spread the net far wider than Mordecai, but would make sure they got Mordecai in the center of it. That plan was to destroy all of the Jews. 
and he deceitfully wormed his way through into the further favor of the king Ahasuerus so that he would go along with it. And we have a letter written, a letter sealed with the king's ring. It's sent throughout all the land declaring that there's a set time when all the Jews, men, women, and children, would be slaughtered and their spoils taken. And when Haman was exalted even more greatly, he decided, well, we can hoist a huge high gallows because we want the worst Jew, Mordecai, to dangle from them. Everything's in place. The letter, the date, even the gallows, those hated Jews are to be eliminated. This means what? God's promise could not be fulfilled. This means his purposes would be foiled. This means Christ would not come into the world born of the seed of Abraham as he had said he would. This means none of his chosen could be redeemed. This means you and I would be forever lost. But there was never any chance of that happening. This blessed book gives us one of the greatest displays of God's good and wise and adorable providence. What is providence? It's God's constant care for His absolute rule over all His creation, which He does for His own glory and for the good of His people. And all that transpired within the record of this book of Esther, though it appeared to any onlooker to be against the God of Israel and against the purpose of His grace for His people, it was really the secret outworking of divine providence coming right out of left field to accomplish God's own purpose. What do you and I read in Psalm 76 and verse 10? Surely the wrath of man shall praise thee. The remainder of wrath shall thou restrain. And when man feels his tail is up and he's in total charge, he gets a tap on the shoulder and God pulls him back. And he tells him, I'm in control, not you. We're looking at the governance in God's providence. You remember what Paul wrote? These are words that I think we all love to read over again and again. Romans 8, the verse 28 to 30. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, them He also justified, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. In other words, when the engine of God's salvation cranks up, man can't stop it. It keeps going through the gears, right to achieve God's intended destination. You hear the Jews here, they're about to be wiped out. 
but divine providence steps in. And that's the direction God gives to everything that is animate and inanimate as well, good and evil. It's the sovereign rule of God in the determination of the total flow of history. It's the hand of God inserted into the glove of history so that that glove takes on the contours of His hand. It's our God being at the steering wheel of the universe. Providence means that God is behind the scenes and He's shifting and He's directing and He's controlling and He's manipulating and He's organizing and He's orchestrating everything for the salvation of His people and for the glory of His own great name. Providence is the way God secretly and sovereignly forces all things to do His will. And so we have it recorded here in the book of Esther, the entire Jewish nation, it would have been massacred were it not for the providence of God. We have said, you'll not find God's name in the book of Esther, but God is everywhere in the book. And he's standing in the shadows, and he's keeping watch over his own, and he's not seen by men. But he's always there. William Cooper's hymn that we sang to begin the service tonight could be written large over all the events of this book. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps where we can't see them in the sea. And he rides upon the storm deep in unfathomable minds of never feeling skill. He treasures up his wise designs and works his sovereign will. Now as I look, Cooper warns me, blind unbelief is sure to err and scan his works in vain. God is his own interpreter and he will make it plain. So let me show you something of the wonder of God's providence in the book of Esther. I trust you have already read the book and read it recently. And if you haven't, maybe before you go to bed tonight, scan through it. We're only touching the highlights. The governance in God's providence. The groundwork for God's providence. And here we're coming across five needful lessons about the providence of God. And one lesson is this, situation. God always puts the right person in the right place at the right time to accomplish His purposes. That's why when we look through the history of the world, we discover again and again and again that the Lord has His servants exactly where He wants them. That very famous verse that many times in free Presbyterianism, we have quoted Esther 4 in the verse 14. For, Esther's been given the charge by her uncle Mordecai here, if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed, and, and here's the pressure being applied to her, who knoweth? whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And Mordecai was exactly right. God had put the right person. Used a beauty contest, as we've seen. 
in the right place at the right time to accomplish his purpose. Not only situation, but suppression. Suppression. God restrains evil and governs even his enemies to perform his good pleasure. Where do I find that elsewhere in Scripture? Outside of the book of Esther in Proverbs, chapter 16 to verse 33, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is off the Lord. Proverbs 21 and 1, the king's heart, even that, Charles III, many others, all others across the countries of the world, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord as the rivers of water, he turneth it whithersoever he will. Suppression. Look at some specifics. What I mean by specifics is simply this. God arranges the smallest, most minute things, things that nobody hardly is noticing. And he uses all of those tiny, infinitesimal details to accomplish his great purpose. Matthew 10, the verse 13, he says, The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Who bothers with that? God does. Some examples in Esther. When Esther decided that she would go into the king's court as encouraged by Mordecai to do, and she goes uninvited, and that could be a fatal mistake, the king just happened to pass by. Esther 5 and 1. God was arranging the smallest, tiniest details. In chapter 6, we're told one night the king couldn't sleep. And so he had his servants, why ever this request? Bring out the chronicles and the records of the kingdom, the history of the nation, and read them to me. And in those chronicles was the history of all 127 provinces. But that servant just happened to read the chronicle of Shushan. And you can read it yourself in Esther 6, verse 1 to 3. And when he noted, it was found written, Mordecai. Oh. That man in the crosshairs of the enemy. It was found on this night that Mordecai had told of Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's chamberlains, the keepers of the dorm, who sought to lay hand on the king Ahasuerus. So Mordecai, it's been discovered here, he actually had defended the king and saved his life. And the king said, What honor and dignity hath been done to Mordecai for this? Then said the king's servants that ministered unto him, There is nothing done for him. About that time, Haman, the prime minister, that wicked man, walked in. And the king asked Haman, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? And Haman's pushing out the feathers like a pouter pigeon, and he thinks it's me he's talking about. I'm going to get more elevation. Isn't this great? And Haman gave the counsel that would destroy himself, would exalt Mordecai, his enemy, and would save the Jews. God in the tiniest details. Yet again. We have also the thought of supplication, another big lesson coming through. 
And Esther 4, the verse 16, Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan, and fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, neither day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law, and if I perish, I perish. Pray for me. That's what she's saying. And when God is about to do a great work, he always moves his people to seek him. Call upon him in prayer and supplication. Then we have success. The fifth lesson here, our God always. There's no negotiation about this. And there's no failure built into the system or tolerances built into a lie for failure here. Our God always accomplishes his purpose. What wonders are unseen by our eyes. But even though they are unseen, I see if we are. Because we have a guardian, and the guardian is right in the place of power in the king's palace. The governance in God's providence, the groundwork for God's providence, then the grace about God's providence, the grace about God's providence. You can't read the book of Esther without just seeing a picture of grace appear, and then another, and another, and another one appear in the book. Very instructive pictures of grace in this wonderful little book. I'm fully aware that preachers, no doubt myself included, can come to some of the pictures or the types as we call them in the Bible and kind of twist them and strain them and pull them out of shape. And oftentimes people are doing it to try and make passages in the Bible say what they don't actually say to suit some private or personal scheme or to bolster a dodgy viewpoint. But we are assured here everything written in the book of God speaks of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember on the way to Emmaus, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he showed unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. There is Messiah, another picture of Messiah, another picture of Messiah. He fills the book. It speaks of him, the things that he has accomplished as our substitute. And Christ crucified is all the counsel of God. That's why we have our text. We preach Christ crucified, for in preaching that, we are preaching all the counsel of God. 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, Acts 20 and the verse 27. But as pointers to the grace that we have here, what do we see? First of all, in the appeal, Esther's intercession for her nation in Esther 4, the verse 16, here we have a young woman who was willing to lay down her life for her people. And she comes in before the king. She intercedes before that king as the one pure and lovely and who is delightful in his sight. Now, I cannot read of that without thinking of the blessed Lord Jesus Christ who willingly laid down his life for us, our great mediator, laying down his life for his people, not only willing to do it, but he actually did it. 
And all that has been accomplished by the laying down of his life is the basis today of that relentless intercession that he engages in pleading for and praying for every one of his people. He is our current advocate, First John 2, the verse 1 and 2. So we have in her appeal a picture of grace, a picture of Christ. We have also in her approach the same thing. In Esther 5 and 2, we read, It was so when the king saw Esther the queen standing in the court that she obtained favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. So Esther drew near and touched the top of the scepter. And what a beautiful picture that is of each child of God who dares to approach God boldly. Here's a picture that should give encouragement to you and to me as we approach the throne of grace, the throne of Christ our King to obtain mercy, to seek for help in our times of need. Hebrews 4 and the verse 16, and we would urge, urge all sinners to venture to this throne of mercy and grace, to sue for mercy, to take on Esther's attitude. I will go into the presence of the king, and if I perish, I perish. Because I tell you, if you go in with that attitude, it's impossible for a sinner to perish at the throne of grace. John Newton, the author of that great hymn, Amazing Grace, put it like this, Approach my soul, the mercy seat where Jesus answers prayer, there humbly fall before his feet, for none can perish there. Nobody ever perished, confessing his sin, seeking God's forgiveness at the footstool of mercy. You see, God is faithful to his promise and faithful and just to his son. He is faithful to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all right unrighteousness. First John 1 and 9, he delighteth in mercy, Micah says in Micah 7, 17, thou art a God ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, Nehemiah 9 and verse 17. I wonder, are you aware of an old hymn by Edmund Jones? that ties right into what's happening in the book of Esther. I see on hymntime.com where they've posted the words of his hymn. They're asking if anybody out there has a photograph of Edmund Jones, a good picture, head and shoulders, at least 200 by 300 pixels. That's not very good at all, but that's the minimum they're looking for. And in the absence of a picture of Jones, because they haven't found one, they put up instead a graphic of Esther confounding Haman, famous painting by Gustav Dory. The hymn, Come Humble Sinner, in whose breast a thousand thoughts revolve. Come with your guilt and fear oppressed and make this last resolve. I'll go to Jesus, though my sins like mountains round me close. I know his courts, I'll enter in whatever may oppose. 
prostrate I lie before his throne and bear my guilt confess. I'll tell him I'm a wretch undone without his sovereign grace. I'll to the gracious king approach, whose scepter pardon gives. Perhaps he may command my touch, and then the suppliant lives. Perhaps he will admit my plea, perhaps will hear my prayer, but if I perish, I will pray and perish only there. I can but perish if I go, I am resolved to try, for if I stay away, I know I must forever die. But if I die with mercy sought, when I, the king, have tried this were to die, delightful thought, as sinner never died. As we bow before his throne, confessing our sins, trusting his Son, the Lord God Almighty graciously forgives us. He receives us. He accepts us. Why? Because of the God-man who sits at his right hand, who ever lives to pray for poor sinners like us. And in his name, we can come boldly and obtain mercy. And if you've got a need tonight down in the depths of your soul, it's a need that only Jesus Christ can fill. The King's Court, I'm telling you, it stands open Order your cause before that king. He'll hear the voice of your supplication. The golden scepter will be extended to you, and he will answer you with all the resources he has that nobody else has, the resources of omnipotence and wisdom and goodness and grace and mercy. Why won't you come and welcome to Jesus? And then there is a picture again of grace, one of assurance the decree that was sealed with the king's ring in chapter 8 and the verse 8. Write ye also for the Jews, as it liketh you, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring, for the writing which is written in the king's name, and sealed with the king's ring, may no man reverse. Let me tell you, there is one whose decree is unalterable. One whose purpose is sure. One who cannot be denied. And that is our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you can see it in Psalm 89, 34. My covenant will I not break nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. In Isaiah 46, verse 9 and verse 10. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is none else. I am God and there is none like me. From the ancient times. Declaring the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. And you can read in Daniel 4, verse 34, and keep going past 35, right down to 37. And you'll find Nebuchadnezzar acknowledging, I thought I was the big fellow on the planet, and God has crushed me to powder. And I now realize, because I must praise and extol and honor the King of heaven. All his works are truth and his ways judgment. And those, and he's saying, like myself, we walk in pride. He is able to obey us. 
We have another picture of grace here in administration. We now have Jews ruling over their enemies. And we find it in Esther 9 in the verse 1. Now in the twelfth month, that is a month Adar on the thirteenth day of the same, when the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution, in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary, that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. And as the scenario will change and change, under God's control, God's people are made to rule over their enemies by His grace. Romans 6 and verse 14, Romans 16 and 20, Galatians 5, 16 to 23, Revelation 20 and 6, all tell us ultimately God's people will rule over their foes. Don't be frightened by the sight of the whites of their eyes today. A reversal is coming. And the final picture of grace is that of advancement. Mordecai the Jew, we're told in Esther 10 and verse 3, was next on to King Ahasuerus. Replace the man who had set out to be his enemy. And great among the Jews and accepted of the multitude of his brethren, seeking the wealth of his people and speaking peace to all his seed. So instructive, for that's a picture of what Jesus does. Seeks the wealth of his people, speaks peace to all his seed. And Mordecai, as well as picturing Christ, he exemplifies all that you and I as Christians today should be practicing in this world. And may God always give us the grace we need to live for the good of his people, seeking their peace, working for their prosperity. The governance in God's providence the groundwork for God's providence, the grace about God's providence. Lastly and briefly, the glory from God's providence. The glory from God's providence. We must say that providence is God organizing, orchestrating all events and every circumstance in our universe for His glory and for the good of his people, and especially for the glory of his Christ. Now, what do we read in Esther 9 and 4? We read this. Mordecai was great in the king's house, and his fame went out throughout all the provinces, for the man Mordecai waxed greater and greater. You remember the question of the king back in chapter 6. What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Well, here's the answer. What huge honor falls on the shoulders of this man, Mordecai, marked out for death, to be hanging from a high gallows. And now he's sitting through the intervention of God, second in the kingdom, second only to the king. What a reversal! of fortunes. Only God could pull it off. Do you know what I see here in the glory from God's providence? There is one greater than Mordecai, great though he was, one greater than Mordecai, sitting as he is at the right hand of the majesty on high, and he is great and he is accepted of the multitude of his brethren. He seeks the wealth of his people. He speaks peace to all his seed. And I'm asking the question, what then, since this is 
Jesus Christ, what shall be done to the God-man whom Jehovah, the King of kings, delights to honor? Do you know what the answer is? Let every knee bow before him. Let every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Does the great God delight that the Lord Jesus Christ should be honored like this? It's his honor when his Son is honored. It's his glory that Christ is glorified. Old Robert Hawker from Plymouth He said, this is the only way, and a blessed way it is indeed, by which a poor sinner can give glory to the Father in believing the record which he has given of his Son. Hear then, my soul, do thy daily. Be found in honoring the glory man, the God man, Christ Jesus, whom God the Father delighteth to honor. And as he works his way through our globes, through providence, through grace, by his love and mercy, through his care for us, our Mordecai, our Lord Jesus Christ, what does he do? He waxes greater and greater in the eyes of his people. And that's the way it's going to continue to be. In Revelation 5, the verse 9 to 14, they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred, and hast made us kings and priests unto our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And they all join together as if... A voice starts it up here, it transmits to another, it keeps going until it builds into a huge chorus in heaven, that hallelujah chorus, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And all in heaven cried, Amen. And let us on earth tonight join with our little amen as well. This is the pillow upon which I can rest my head and cradle my soul through 2023. The providence of God, no matter what happens to me, no matter what occurs everywhere, the providence of God that always works through the grace of God that operates continually for my good, a child of his love and his care and always to the glory of the great God who is my Savior. Esther 9 and 1 in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary, that the Jews had ruled over them, that hated them. Lord, keep in charge of my circumstances and see me through, cradled in thy care. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we look to Thee for Thy mercy, for Thy grace, Thy loving kindness, and tender compassions. And we pray that this picture of the providence of God that we have seen in the book of Esther, may we see it again in our lives, in our circumstances, in our nation, we pray. Amen.